0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am authorized to assure you that so far there is no reasonable cause for alarm. The rumors of invading armies and mass destruction are based on hysteria and are absolutely false. I repeat, these
1: rumors are absolutely false.
2: Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K Applegate's 1996 book series Animorphs. My name is Coleman.
0: And my name is Mitchell, and today we've got a very special episode for you, no doubt about that. But first, I am going to go through and thank our Patreon sponsors, all of which were... Just responsible for even making this show happen. So real quick, we are going to thank Spencer, Jack Hunter, Ben Freeman, Jennifer Baker, James Miola, Tim Aheen, Kendra, Kevin Kosklausi, Kosklowski, Graith, Tony Pazak, Noah Troutman, Dan Zander, Daniel Martinoli, Nita Labrada, Gaffaro, Michael Blemick, Sorrent Joyce, and one of our most recent newest subscribers... Uh, the elusive Mr. Sundown. Thank you all so very much. And you know what? One of the benefits here on the uh, ThoughtSpeak Patreon page is that if you happen to be a Andalite tier subscriber, you get a certain perk. And that perk is a guest spot on this episode. And that spot goes to Sundown, or as we call him, Richard, our guest for today on this legendary episode. How you doing, Richard?
3: Yeah, I'm doing pretty good.
0: Surprise.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Surprise. and I, I, I got to say, there was probably some collusion on which episode he'd be guest spotting on because you just happened to end up on Vizor, and that that took some planning.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> As we
0: all but know, anyway. Vizzer is just one of the best books in the series. I think there's 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 no questioning that. It's just... It stands alone on its own tier, I think, kind of like, you know, the Andalite Chronicles, um, some of the other books in the series, right?
2: I mean, it's easily one of the bigger ones for me. It's it's the one I think that you could... Uh, you might have to talk around the visor stuff itself, but uh, you could put it certain chapters in the hands of somebody who's never read Animorphs and they're just into sci-fi, and uh, I think they'd be blown away by some, uh, certain aspects. So it's, it's great.
0: It's definitely the... Uh, uh, Court drama that I always knew animorphs could be. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've always wanted to see that from this book. Uh, let's see. I, I before
2: before we jump into that though. Yes. Uh, we it wouldn't be ThoughtSpeak, and it wouldn't be a guest spot episode of ThoughtSpeak if we didn't go a little bit, a little time traveling, little uh, um, megamorph style time traveling into the <laughs> past of our guest and found out how he got into Animorphs in the first place.
0: There you go. Yeah, we love learning about uh, our, our fans and, you know, anybody else, what their Animorph experience was. And I understand that your your experience is a little bit different from ours in that we kind of scattered reading the books, but you read it all the way through, right?
3: Yeah, you know, I started reading the books uh, way back in the day when I was, you know, early elementary school and Picked it up at number four. The message, uh, mainly the the dolphin, is what sold it for me. And uh, I read every book month to month, all the way through till the very end.
0: Damn, that's a long ride. A couple years at least.
3: Very very emotional. A lot of ups and downs. Uh,
0: and how about I your even... book collection? Were you able to hang on to it for all these
3: years? Well, you yeah, know, the sad story is 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 no. Um, I went and took a a year. And moved down to Texas and in that time my books ended up missing and uh, I went a lot of years and had a little bit of sadness at the loss of those uh, little pieces of paper that you know helped me a lot in my youth and a couple months ago I decided you know what I want those back and I didn't get my books but I was able to buy a collection from eBay and uh, I'm really glad that I did it got me back into it so
0: yeah wonderful i mean it, it was a it was a real rush for uh, at least a couple of months you know tracking the books down individually going to use bookstores and stuff um kind of regret that that's over now but hey my collection's complete at
3: least yeah I've, you
0: can
2: always burn your collection and start again
0: no, or I'm, donate it my god
3: <laughs> far too lazy for that i just went to ebay complete series click boom done
0: yeah, there you go. Well, if you want something, why the hell wait, right? Not in this <laughs> yeah. day and age. Um, so Vizzer, boy, it's, it's special and we know that. And uh, I, I just want to steer us into talking a little bit about the cover. Because um, this is one cool cover. And, and you might also uh, have noticed that although the book is primarily about Vizzer 1, uh, they have Vizzer 3 stuck on the cover.
2: Um, well, if you're going to pick between a beaten up old lady and, uh, you know, one of the most original sci-fi creatures that you have in your series, I think it's a pretty easy, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a good part of the book is about Visitor 3 as well. You know, it's not really just about Visor 1, it's just she happens to be the protagonist. Yeah, so.
3: and I think this is kind of, in my mind anyway, like the defining version of Visor 3, or even just Andalites in general, honestly.
0: Yeah, well, did you know that there is a, uh, uh, according to Seropedia, an interesting backstory behind why visor 3 appears on the cover um this question has apparently been asked of uh of KA applegate for a long time and finally uh she she admits that she feels responsible for the mistake one of the first things ka had to do for her book was create an outline for scholastic they used this outline to write the summaries on the back of the books and to create the covers and the titles so that kind of proves a theory by the way of, of something that we've been talking about with how they do these outlines um but anyway, the outlines for the books were generally vague, though, so she wouldn't be so limited when writing them. So for Vizer, she implied in her outline that the book would be just as much about Vizzer 3 as it would be about Vizzer 1, which led Scholastic to choose Vizzer 3 for the cover. But when Kay actually sat down to start writing the book, she found that Vizzer 1's story was a lot more interesting, and that's who the book ended up being about. Um, by then, it was too late and too expensive to have new cover art created. So, there you go, fresh from the source. That's uh, that's the story. Um, and you know what? I, I think Visor Three actually has the wrong kind of tail here too.
3: It's very whip-like.
0: It's supposedly the. I um, mean. I, I, and in fact, it says on Serapedia the inconsistency. Uh, the cover. And if the cover andalite is meant to depict Viser 3, it differs from his de- uh, depiction in *The Weakness*. Um, this depiction has a backwards-facing scalpel-like female tail blade. Um, so yeah, there you
2: go. See, I just saw that as them continuously updating the, the uh, andalites in general because they they do the same thing with stock eyes, where they just like retcon them when they got to the next book cover.
0: Well, they they, that, they so. redesigned them ever so slightly to not make them look so goofy, I think, cuz yeah. they had the weird like segments, right?
2: No, the stalk yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I still never thought I I I don't think any of the official depiction of Andalites ever really I don't know, gave credit to how they're described in the books and how they use them. I think they're incredibly awkward in the official artwork and and don't don't work as described. Well, okay,
0: one thing we should talk about, though, is that this is the only hardcover book in the series, which is pretty pretty spiffy and special. That's not true. It's no, a-
3: they had the Harkwoodjur Chronicles as well.
0: Yeah, I have a, I have a hardcover. Oh, did they? The yeah, Chronicles. you're right. Okay. Okay, not the only one, then. My bad. I mean, Edited technically we have a-
2: I have a hardcover copy of book number 34, too. But I feel like a library, like, illegally printed that or something.
0: Um, <laughs> that's where those
3: come from. I think this is the only book that was printed exclusively in hardback, though. I don't think I've seen a paperback version of Visser. Oh,
0: that's true. Yeah. Oh, that, that could I very mean, well be the case. It, it
3: could be out there, but I've not seen it. I've only seen hard co- hardback copies.
0: Uh, either way, it's really cool that it's got this uh, flap that, of course... Um, it's removable, um, as most hardcover books have. And it's kind of, not necessarily holographic, but shiny, I guess.
2: Like, uh... Sometimes those are referred to as dust covers.
0: There you go. And if you're interested in dust, this little thing <laughs> is called a dust buster. All right uh okay i'm gonna Sorry, jump you know, in and or actually you know what for for special guest purposes uh richard it, it, are you capable of reading the uh uh inside cover flap description of the book
3: i, I believe i can do that yes um but i just wanted to point something out because i just noticed it and i thought it was kind of cool if you flip over to the back side one of uh, one of viscer 3's stalk eyes is turned around to look at you
2: oh yeah yeah that ah. is true
3: yeah <laughs>
2: in my entire childhood i've never noticed that
3: i might me neither. i literally just noticed it while i'm holding the cover of the book in my hand yeah
2: it's just bright enough how many to think emails about that we're gonna get
0: <laughs> it's just bright enough to mistake as a, a star if you're you know you flip over and it's like oh okay it's from reverse
3: cool yeah that's kind of neat
2: huh that's good. you're already adding to the quality of the show oh man
3: <laughs> glad to be of service so which part do we want to read? Do we want to read the whole thing, or do we just want to read this, this bottom section?
0: Uh, yeah, the, the, starting with her human name is Eva.
3: All right. Yeah. Her human name is Eva. There was a time when she had a loving husband and a son, Marco, when she had a wonderful career, but that was before she was infested by Edris 562, before the invasion of Earth. Now, Edris 562 lives in Eva's head and controls her every movement. And through Eva, Edris has become the highest-ranking general in the Yurk Empire, surpassing even her arch rival Visser III. She is Visser I. But it has become known that Visser I's tactics for attaining her current position were less than acceptable, even to the Yurks. Now she is on trial for treason. If she's found innocent, she'll continue to rule, but if she's found guilty, she'll lose her life, and possibly the life of her host, Eva. Well, we'll, which will mean that Marco will never, ever see his mother again. Kay Applegate has dared to journey to the dark side with this haunting glimpse into the hearts and minds of a race determined to survive and conquer at any cost.
2: I love that last part. She's Kay Applegate has dared to take you on this journey into the dark side.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we're very thankful that she's uh, extended an olive branch and brought us along because, yeah.
2: Real quick, is this book, would you say this book is the equivalent of, like, Oscar bait during the Christmas season? Uh, did they release it as a hardcover trying to get one of those, like, Peabody Awards? Uh, <laughs> Jeez, you
0: know, I, I kind of, I don't know what they were really shooting for other than the Megamorphs and the offshoot Chronicle books had been so successful and popular. I think this is just their next, uh, and I, I might even say their, their most well done uh, uh, version of that Possibly besides uh, uh, Elements Chronicles.
2: (laughs) It's definitely one that I have reread the most out of the series. Like, even when I'm not doing a series read-through, occasionally I would pick up Vizor and just read it again. So, um, you say that for it, at least.
3: How many times have you read it, Richard? Oh, geez. Uh, Including this week, it's probably been five or six, to be honest with you. It's it's definitely one of... uh, my top books in the series it definitely stands apart from the rest
0: yeah exactly you know even that even though i've only read it like twice um it's one that really sticks with you um and man it's just got so much good stuff you want to you want to jump in you want to start you want to break it down let's,
2: let's talk about the book itself the words within the book
0: you betcha well you know this one opens with um a little brief prologue kind of scene um, that, that takes place around the time when uh, visitor one is already in uh, Eva and she's, she's saying goodbye to Marco and this is her disappearing in her, her whole sailing incident, you know, that we've heard set up um, in the past books. Um, and then it kind of definitely, flashes forward.
2: Definitely not a scene I ever thought I'd see in any of the books. They don't do a ton of flashbacks. But this is a scene that they reference a lot. Obviously, it's huge to Marco's past. It determined his arc for the first, you know, three Marco books and on. Uh, and, you know, to the flashback and show the scene of her leaving, uh, good good bookend to the start of the book.
0: It's definitely very memorable, yeah. It's it's uh, and recognizable, I think. All the fans who know Marco's backstory know this, you know, the significance of this event, right? Oh, uh, shit, she's about to get in her schooner. <laughs> She's she's pulling out the Wind Waker. She's going out. <laughs> anyway, you, you flash forward a little bit to the present, and it's like um, Vizier 1's uh, being brought in to be on trial in front of, you know, the, the biggest uh, sort of top of the tier yurks called the Council of 13. Ooh. Um, and that's got to be like some kind of Star Trek reference or something, right? Because, you know, big, shady, evil council-like <laughs> groups uh, are always kind of a sci-fi cliche, aren't they?
2: It's funny that the Yurk Empire isn't run by like a... Well, I guess it is. It's still a emperorship. It's still a dictatorship. Uh, they, they do have an emperor. They just don't know who it is. So it's cool that they... Uh, a, a race that's all about stealth and subversion, even their leadership is hidden among these 13. I thought that was a nice uh, depiction of their personality and stuff. But I think the biggest thing right here is that you see uh, this book already shows you that it's, it's willing to go a little darker in just how it describes uh, Eva and, and her Yerk hosts or her, Yurk, um...
0: her human host body. Yeah, yeah
1: no, her, I, I always I, how, how I always Eva forget
0: that it. detail. Yeah, she is horribly gored, like half of her face was, you know, blown away from burnt off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I always forget these little details, but yeah, she's not in good shape to begin with here.
2: Um, and the thing is she she got hurt like a month ago she got hurt during the the big battle on top of the mountain that Marco pushed her off uh, that's where all the most of these wounds came from other than the torture she's you know gone through under visitor three and the big, the worst part of it is they've even though they could easily heal everything instant plastic surgery whatever whatever they do uh, they just let it all sit and get infected and
0: oh right. yeah I forgot Healed that description bad. too they they definitely yeah. ignored her wounds and have let things kind of degenerate Ugh.
3: yeah they, they make a pretty big uh point in mentioning just how ill treated she's been by viscer three i mean even dragging out her conjurna uh feeding so that she's kind of like just on the edge of starvation there and oh yeah coherent, but not quite you know well fed either so
0: right he wants her to her die time. you know that that'd be <laughs> just the best thing for him and uh, that's kind of one of the subplots in this book is just uh, him trying at every point to foil her.
3: Yeah, it's sort of like a chess game between the two, really. I mean, they're both they're both playing their own hands and trying to get in front of each other.
0: The problem it's
2: is, threes Three is the type to just flip over the board.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's very much like uh, uh, Light and uh, L from Death Note, the anime or manga, um, where you know you're rooting for one of them to win and it'd be best if they just both died, I guess. (laughs) Well,
3: it's, it's pretty evident that, you know, one has got the advantage and that's, you know, Visser three. He's, he's free. He's, he's technically not the one that's on trial. And, you know, he has the ability to, to still be in communication with those around him. And and Visser one's clearly been cut from whatever ties she had. Um, so, yeah, he, he's got a little bit of an upper hand, but from a wit standpoint, I think I, I think we can all agree that Visser One obviously has the advantage there. Well, yeah, that's true, yeah. and she's at least got a little, little, itty-bitty, tiny support from,
0: from her host body. Um,
2: which fluctuates yeah. throughout, yeah, <laughs> fluctuates throughout the uh, endeavor.
3: Yeah, she, well... She, she, go ahead. Uh, she does get a little bit of support, and that's and a little bit later in the book, but it's not like uh, everybody's against her. It's just really, you know, Viscer 3 is definitely... Uh, has a little more resources to pull from.
0: Oh,
2: 100%. Yeah, I guess, I guess you know, she has her own personal army. She has, uh, obviously, just you assume anyone who's gotten that high up, they have sub-visitors who are loyal to them and stuff like that. It doesn't really go into anyone trying anything outside of uh, her own conniving and scheming plans. You'd think she'd have more more support from somebody.
0: Well, it really goes to show, you know, how the Yurk Empire is structured and how it works is basically built on backstabbers, <laughs> really. It, it doesn't seem like they have that ingrained loyalty.
2: Well, yeah, but you don't... It's not. I'm not saying loyalty for the sake of loyalty. I'm saying, you know, these anyone in this big political game... Has something to gain by helping out, you know, the most powerful York alive, Visitor One. So I'm sure she has subordinates who, who would try something or try to underhandedly do something. You know, you don't, you don't see any of that. I think uh, there could have been at least like one subplot throughout this where the Animorphs were one distraction, and then maybe she has one card up her sleeve with some subordinate on some backwater transmission station or you know.
0: I don't, I don't know, because the beginning of this book starts out, obviously, with her going on trial and then explaining, you know, her backstory, where she started. And uh, back when she's just this, uh, uh, like, sub you know, 409, chilling on this uh, Yurk base on an alien planet somewhere called Olgin, um, she seems even kind of like a... a, a <laughs> I mean, just more like Visitor three almost the way she uh, disposes of one of her units, um, just to kind of show who's in charge, and, and they they really often rely on fear and intimidation, uh, and and it's often at the cost of their own people.
2: That's true. Yes.
3: Yeah, I mean, she just straight out murders a Ged just to essentially prove a point of management, and uh, I, I did find it kind of amusing that she is mentioning how her frustration was with the recent implementation of a rule that said you can't kill your subordinates. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't just kind of like a thing and then they i guess there was enough of them getting killed off but they decided that yeah we're probably going to make that a, an offense
0: <laughs> we we actually do need to specify that you shouldn't kill your uh, your fellow coworkers
2: you yeah. know what in new york empire that's just hazing you know it's not a big deal
0: well and what's even more interesting is she also mentions that visir 3 is there as well as one of her subordinates so it's almost not a stretch to think that maybe he as a young you know cadet was inspired by uh, uh, Viser, the future Viser One's kind of uh, tactics here and show of hold violence. On,
2: hold on. Where where does it say that Viser Three was one of her subordinates? There, no, he he's right.
3: Um, it says it in there somewhere because I remember reading that and going, huh? Uh, I think Viser. Let's see.
0: It, yeah, it's it's definitely in here.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, from what I I from my recent reread, I I reread it about a week ago. Um, I they specifically mention him Visor three sending the pictures of the humans from the taxon homework. Cause obviously he was there. So how could he also be on the station? Um, because yeah, I, I remember question.
3: when I read it too, I had to reread it and I was like, it says would eventually be Visor three and I'm trying to find it, but yeah, I'm flipping
0: through well, yeah, the pages I think too. That's, <laughs> I didn't I think, think it was important enough the
2: pictures. I think that's who sent them the pictures
0: oh no you know what i don't
3: know i can't find it
2: here you guys you guys keep talking i'm gonna look into this just
3: a little bit. <laughs> well, i'm glad <laughs> i wasn't the only one who saw that and went huh <laughs> uh, yeah
0: exactly uh she kind of offhanded mentions that oh, by the way this this subordinate here would be Fizzor three um but you know that's that's uh, what they're up to in the days before they discovered humans essentially you
3: know, I, I did i do see where where we i think we're the ones that are confused um oh, so if you be. go to page 14 you know this this yerk name method runs into the room and tells viscer well who will eventually be viscer one um hey yeah we just got this report uh, of a class five species and then it goes to the next chapter and it says. That report came from the Yurk, who would later rise to the rank of
2: Visor Three. So the report was in the Andalite chronicles. We see Visor Three.
0: Oh, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean the guy method (laughs) that came in to report. Was Visor Three? It, it meant th- that, that he got it from yeah. Viz- yeah. there. You go. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that was very, very confusingly worded. Well, wow, I'm glad I'm not the it's only okay. one that got confused by
2: that. We need uh, to move on. I can. Yeah. We need to move on. I can take your all's apologies at the end of the show. Uh, oh
0: yeah, absolutely, Coleman. Sure. We're, we're getting there. Um, but anyway, I, I like that they explain. You know that they have a class system of of host bodies, um, with obviously f- class five the top being the most, uh, uh, suitable. Um, whereas like andalites are class four because they're, they're powerful, but they, they're too big of a risk to go after. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's cool. I don't think we've ever heard that explanation of, uh, how they choose host bodies before.
2: No, I actually told this to my uh, wife who every once in a while will listen to crazy sci-fi concepts from her husband. (laughs) Um, and, she thought it was really interesting how they how they broke it down i think there's probably some room it's, it could have been like a a larger scale because it's so specific to just the aliens that we've met so far on our journey through these books oh yeah you know? good point. it doesn't leave really much room open to random other species um but still an interesting concept
0: well yeah and as soon as she learns that they they found this uh planet with uh nice host bodies that number in the billions um uh she, she kind of becomes obsessed with uh these people and th- I, th- I thought it was cool it's a nice call back to the andalite chronicles that they were studying the videos of uh lauren and chapman to learn about
2: humans yeah, you know,
0: yeah those that's, names that's, pop up it brings back good memories
2: it's great to have tie-ins like that
3: yeah i mean they they wrap it all into with uh, even even alfongor and um Aloran as well uh, the, the report ends up becoming a bit of evidence against uh, Visser 3 yeah,
0: yeah it's, it's uh, interesting how they're like jumping back and forth on this timeline of uh, that things are happening in the present during the trial and of course Visser 1 is keeps throwing it back to uh, the, the backstory. story um, so there's a, a bit of back and forth here but like you mentioned, the, the the courtroom drama does heat up, though, when, um, you know, Visor 1 and Visor 3, who just can't be in a room together without getting into a, a feud of some sort, um, start accusing each other of being traitors, and that's kind of how Vizzer 3 ends up a little bit in the hot seat as well. Um, Visor 1 doesn't want to go down without a fight.
3: Well, I mean, but she she has pretty good evidence, because uh, the report did get sent in by Vizzer 3, but... As we know from the Andalite chronicles, I mean, Visor Three had a had a huge uh, sort of impact on everything that happened there and uh, what came out of it.
2: Yeah, I don't know yeah, why how can I, he th- be trusted about that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, who knows? Uh, but for whatever reason, you know, Visor One decides that she's going to be the one to check out the Earth, um, and and in fact, she even ignores her own orders um, to be placed on the tax home world. And she steals a ship like a, like a time lord of some sort. Steals a ship and <laughs> heads off to Earth to <laughs> live amongst the humans and maybe participate in wacky sci-fi adventures.
2: And I, I think this uh, original leaving for Earth with a subordinate who is loyal to her and kind of dumb, um, 100% right now, just to, just we're tracking Visitor 1's uh, emotional state, right now she is full on Yurk. Hail to the Yurk Empire. Here's a new species that uh, I'm going to get credit for. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she,
3: she essentially... She takes off in this ship with... Uh, the guy's name is SM-293. And they're both in these hark bodies, bodies. Uh, or hosts, anyway. And, yeah, I mean... She, she made the searching of the Class 5 species her own personal project. Despite everybody's sort of ridicule. And, um... Yeah, when she was planning on getting, or when they were going to take her off of it, so she couldn't have researched it anymore, she just left. <laughs> For the greater exactly good,
0: that that was like her her plan to get ahead of everybody else all along. Like she's all about finding that class five species and becoming Visor One. So uh, it's it's quite something that we see her in these humble beginnings and know that she actually succeeds. Um, but yeah, Spoilers. like. What? (laughs) I'm keeping up with the story so far. (laughs) Yeah, so we've we've got Edris and Essam hanging out on Earth. Uh, As it turns out, one of the first places they... Well, okay, first of all, it's really kind of cool and realistic how they just sort of hover out in orbit and, like, listen to radio signals and stuff and just are are utterly baffled by the sheer amount of of like signals that humans put out and they're trying to decipher what everything means and all the different languages. Um, I, I just found that really interesting, uh, uh well, seeing an I alien's do disagree.
2: take on I do disagree with a couple, uh, aspects of this. Uh, it's, it's incredibly interesting. I agree that they like are baffled by the amount of data we're putting out. But when, one issue I do have with some sci-fi is when they show earth as this, Uh, planet where, like, oh, my gosh, look at the range of species you have here. Look at the range of habitats. You have both snow and deserts. You know, that that more goes back to the old-school sci-fi of, like, Star Wars of, like, Hoth is a snowy planet, and, you know, Tatooine is a desert planet. And it's like most planets are going to have the kind of variety ours do, especially if they had life. They would probably have an incredible variety of life because that's just how life works. Yeah,
0: maybe. Um, I mean, we've got a lot of biodiversity, sure, but I think... You know, but they would notice in, in, the the humans' capacity for technology.
2: Yeah, but specifically in this instance, uh, they go into uh, there's a a huge confusion with um, the idea of entertainment and fictionalized stuff. Where and yeah. even music, there's kind of uh, the fictional the fictional narrative um, commercials and TV shows. I kind of understand confusion with that. That actually might not exist in any other. Um, you know species they're aware of but they don't know what music is and that i have a problem with because we know the andalites have culture and arts and things like that i, I refuse to believe that we're the first species they run into with music because uh, that even goes against the eliminus chronicles and the things they bring up in that
3: yeah i think it's a little bit too much of um you know i don't know if it's k but just trying to make humanity like the super unique species within the universe um, because, yeah, I mean, there's even, in the previous book, Axe is like, yeah, I'm not very fond of Earth's music. So clearly he knows what music is, so therefore the Yerks probably have some idea, or at least heard it through... You know, their travels through space. So, yeah, there's a little bit of an issue there.
0: Yeah, but think about what they're being compared to, though. Uh, you know, the Geds didn't have much going for them. You know, the Texans didn't really have a whole lot of uh, artistic ability. <laughs> and the Horkmajir are simple as hell as well. Um, and Skritna, don't even talk about the Get out of here with the Skritna. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> uh,
2: I can see a bunch of Geds. Humans are quite impressive as drums.
0: compared to the spectrum that we've seen so far. <laughs>
3: I wonder if this is before or after they make contact with the Lyrans, though.
0: Oh, yeah, you know what? Uh, There's, they point. really kind of forget about the Lyrans, I feel like, or at least the mentioning of Lyrans throughout the series. Well, my
2: thing is, my thing is uh, they keep bringing up, and they do at the end of this book, too. Uh, every once in a while, they'll bring up a random race that the Yerks are fighting on some other edge, and it's, it's hard to tell where the Yerks are in on this fight. There's multiple other planets that we've never even heard of that they're trying to invade and take over different ways and um they just kind of pop up randomly so that's that's another issue i have that's just like we're throwing another race and that's what you're gonna do at the end of this book you know it's 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 weird when they do that too i'm just it's random thought
0: it's yeah it's not what you expect i guess um but, I mean, I think it's more realistic, I guess, that this this alien scourge was uh, battling other races or whatever before they found the humans. Um,
2: we, yeah, but it's, like, it's hard to know. If those kind of little details, they don't seem important, but they're actually important to knowing how powerful the Yurks are because they even say um, at some point in this book that um, if the Andalites showed up with, like, 37 dome ships to Earth, like right now. They could do nothing about it. Earth would be lost to the Yerkes. So how many fronts are they fighting? How much how many resources do they have? How many ships do they have? You know, we don't really ever get the scope of the Yerkes.
0: No, and by all accounts it seems like the Yerkes should be drastically outnumbered and unprepared. But um, they they apparently are not. They're a big enough threat that it's stretching the Andalite forces so thin um yeah i don't know we need to find out more about this and i suspect we will in the final like 10 books or so (laughs)
3: uh yeah i mean sort of (laughs) ish yeah i mean it not to not to spoil the ending of the series but you know it is it does kind of make earth seem like all their eggs are in that basket sort of but in reality when you read through the series such as this book um not so much you know uh if the Earths are defeated on Earth, is that really the end of the of the Yurk Scourge?
2: Well, I guess you could you could think of Earth less as a, another front, and think of Earth more as a resource. Like, um, you know, oh yeah, it, t- it's it's
0: all about the host bodies, and they have the numbers. And if they took Earth, they they'd spread significantly faster than they could have without it.
2: Yeah, if you think about an actual war, if you think about the Civil War or something like that, uh, say you know uh, a town in Virginia creates so much wheat a year, and it might not affect the war overall if they lose that town, but if it affects their resources, maybe they they were banking on the hosts of Earth and were spreading themselves thin because they thought they had five billion hosts about to be delivered to the front lines, um, and that losing that at the end of the at the end of the series just cripples them.
0: Totes, totes, my goats, man. Except uh, for me. <laughs> right on. Well, the the one of the first places they like actually go and touch down when they find Earth and come to Earth is uh, somewhere in the Middle East, and it just happens to be in the middle of a big battle going on. So they they land on Earth and get out, and they're checking things out, and then there's like tanks specifically firing, the Gulf and, War, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Oh, is that what it is specifically? Yeah, it's the Gulf War. (laughs) I just assumed it was random uh, battle happening. No, that's what dates
2: this. This dates it uh, into the eighties, early nineties. You know, this is they even talk about Bush being president. So, uh, this is this is right in the middle of the Gulf War.
3: Yeah, (laughs) it it almost sounds like um, you know the soon the B Visser one of them dropped down in the Battle of Medina Ridge. If you guys.
2: Whoa, I thought I was bringing details to (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
3: You know, there's been very few cases in recent history where, you know, the U.S. Armed Forces have engaged in, like, large armored battles, which, you know, in part, that's what this is. They they have a pretty good chapter where, you know, Visser 1 is just eyeing up this battlefield and just watching as, as these tanks move around and engage each other. And, you know, she makes very clear note that like yeah these tanks are kind of like moving slow and cautiously because they clearly don't have the ability to, to see night vision or have night vision and these other tanks though fewer in number are moving boldly and with confidence and you know it just it just kind of there there was a few battles in that war um, that that could have been because there were only a few times where armor met in those types of uh, numbers
2: that's awesome um you know, it's, it's it here first, folks. It's very possible that
0: Michael Grant might have had that specific uh, battle in mind, too, because I know he's a big uh, war and history buff as well. So it's a very good chance that, yeah, like you said, he took his inspiration from that or this is that scene. Um, but what this uh, really tells visitor One is is that humans are so unstable that they're creating war against each other that you know just that alone makes it seem like they're ripe for the picking so to speak for uh uh taking over um
2: yeah and, and again just to just to put in two cents uh again we're seeing uh confusion from the yurks on uh a race fighting itself like having a i guess a, a intergalactic civil war um where you know the race human fighting humans i We know that at least at some point in time, Andalites and some other uh, races that have been brought up in the series had wars with each other. They fought each other. So, um, again, weird that that, that's so confusing to them.
0: Well, it makes sense. I mean, their whole lives, it's been, you know, yurks together against Andalites. And to see human versus human... It's just, it's probably very chaotic. And she, they actually managed to take a uh, 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 one of the soldiers, one of the, uh, I don't know what nationality, I guess, but they they take one of these soldiers and uh, make him a host real quick, and she, you know, doesn't learn <laughs> not a, a lot from him other than the fact that uh, America is probably the place to head. Um, that's where the, the winners of that battle just came from, so...
3: Yeah, and, you know, what I particularly liked about that chapter was that Visser One made it very clear. She was the first human controller ever, and she had to figure out how that actually works. Because, I mean, if you're a creature that has to be able to get to the brain, like... You know, she had to push aside the bones of the ear canal. And, oh, and yeah. As she wrapped herself, she was like, why are there two halves of this brain? This doesn't make sense. And Yeah, that was the coolest be,
0: description, I think.
3: <laughs> being enthralled sort of by just the biology of humanity and, like, um, describing, like, yeah, these brains could, you know, they're two halves connected by this thing, and they each have their own way of perceiving the world. It was kind of a very interesting way to, to uh, describe humanity from a if they could write
2: if they could write the morphine scenes like they wrote this you entering the brain for the first time scene uh people might not skip over them by accident
0: <laughs> maybe yeah you do tend to skim some of the morph uh uh descriptions for sure um but a- after they uh uh learn from this human that they need to go to uh, America. They kind of let him go, but they (laughs) shoot him down with their Draken beams. Um, They're very merciless. And then uh, we return back to the trial where they actually, I was surprised to learn, were were kind enough to give them a little break in the trial so that uh, Visor 1 can actually eat. And it's kind of funny what Visor 3 brings her to eat as well.
2: Yeah, it's 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 you can't know if it's ignorance or if it's, you know, more the torture process or. Oh, it's
0: totally him trying to just dick with her uh, A head of cabbage, some uh, eggs, raw eggs. And then I think just a little bit of water or something.
2: Yeah, exactly. But
0: um, and it's it's worth pointing out that at this point she's telling her story via what they call memory dump. So they're, like, actually looking into her memories, so there's no way for her to lie about what happens. Because um, there's a lot of stuff that she wants to keep secret, obviously, from everybody from Vizzer 3, and uh, it, it comes to light here throughout the book. Um, but, you know, uh, they, they they return to this uh, memory dump, and we've got Edris and Essam going to quick, America.
2: Uh, I think it's worth pointing out, too, that these memory dumps, uh, they were done voluntarily by Vizzer1. So what they see and how they see it can be controlled by her to an extent when she does the dump.
0: Yes, for, so for right these now ones. Right, right later, now they're
2: looking at public records. Yeah, later <laughs> they do a live one. But Exactly. Uh, right now, these can be manipulated or at least uh, edited in a certain way.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And um, they they decide the place in America to go is Hollywood because um, it, it seems to be the most important. Ha ha ha.
1: <laughs> and
0: uh, they they just you know they set down in a place. Uh, I think they liked it because it had a pool. Um, where, where they come out and conveniently, quite conveniently, uh, a man and woman come out and happen to be confused about their, uh, their Horkmajir bodies. They think they are, of course, like actors in costume. Um, a, a real convenient excuse that uh, they've always got to go to whenever aliens and humans are together.
2: Well, luckily uh, they're in Hollywood. They had to, happen to be at a producer's um, pool who happened to be working on a sci-fi movie that had, you know, special effects artists who might be coming to the house at some point. <laughs>
0: so you're saying there's a lot of convenient coincidences. It's a here. couple,
2: a few things, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest reasons they went down to the planet was because they, they were running out of supplies. I mean, they were sitting up in orbit, you know, trying to learn what they could, and Essam and was literally beginning to die. I think he said that, like, my host body isn't going to survive for more than a few more hours if we don't get water. And they're like, all right, cool. Let's go down to this, this Hollywood and get, Oh some yeah. Maybe, maybe, and-
0: <laughs> maybe they went to the pool because he was thirsty and they're just like, Oh, oh well there's oh, a giant ab- thing of open water.
3: <laughs> well, they absolutely did because, you know, uh, Idris or Visser one was like, there you go. Ask There's your water. And he sticks his head in the pool and it's like all the chlorine starts burning him up <laughs> inside and he starts freaking out. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it is a bit it's, convenient. If you needed water, I would think that there would have been plenty of other areas yeah, to go.
2: Like 75% of the earth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that'd be salt water and that'd be no good. Uh,
2: well, because <laughs> they're obviously checking this water before they drink from it. <laughs>
0: So their, their very first host bodies happen to be this woman uh, named Jenny. They call her Jenny Lines, and we'll get into that. And uh, her, like you said, producer, uh, not necessarily boyfriend, but uh, they, they do mention that he desires her because he, he finds her attractive.
2: Um, yeah, immediately, I mean, we, we got into the, obviously we got into the fact that uh, when they took a host, their first human host, it was a... Um, someone of middle East, you know the losing side of the gulf war um yeah. and it was an interesting perspective seeing the americans from that and everything and then the second um humans we see in the story are this like scumbag producer and his coked up uh quote-unquote actress um entourage yeah
0: a hundred percent uh who knows that like it, it jenny doesn't appear to be a star of any noti- noticeable talent or anything. Um, it, it almost seems like the, the producer guy just had her there for the night. If you know my, if you catch my meaning, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it would have been really interesting if they wanted to adult this up a little bit more to include a line from, uh, Essam when he takes over, uh, uh L- Lowenstein, the guy about, Oh yeah, no, he was totally going to bang you and dispose of you tomorrow <laughs> or something.
3: Yeah. I, I really like that. You know, in this book that's meant for a younger audience that they, they do put in. I mean, even if it's kind of subtle, you know, there, there is uh, evidence, you know, that Jenny is uh, an addict and that she's hanging out with this producer guy because he gives her, you know, what she got her name for, <laughs> lines. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I mean, they do mention that she, once, once uh, Edris does infest her and makes her a controller and you get a little bit of dialogue as she's like chatting back and forth with, with uh, Jenny. Um, but yeah, she says she's an actress, but she, she really hasn't acted and she's yeah, kind of yeah, like there you go. arm candy for this producer guy. And he hooks her up with drugs and
1: that's the so relationship.
0: She's, she's, she's a time girl.
2: Exactly. I have enough friends in LA to, to know that this isn't even, you know, outside of the reality there. This is not, that crazy of a situation, no,
0: uh, the especially not in the '80s. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's a nice touch. of It's it's a little bit of realism that's, like I said, a little more darker than you would expect to see for a book meant for kids. But you know, it's it's done in such a way that you get it, but it's not spelled out right.
2: Yeah, except.
0: Well, I believe the the term they use is they uh, say she's. Uh, addicted to chemical substances or something, something of that nature, where they don't outright say it's cocaine. Yeah. She's on cocaine, kids. <laughs> Get her. Her name's just Jenny Lines. <laughs> wow, that's just a clever reference for us adults. <laughs> yeah. Um, but after, you know, they they take these human bodies and these are the ones that they're going to make stick for a while because they've at least got some wealth and and credit to their names and, you know, they're, they're people that they could really use of substance. Um, but then it cuts back to the trial where, um, you know, Visor 3 is just hardballing left and right trying to accuse Visor 1 of all these traitorous activities. Um, and, and this is, you know, kind of a little action break beat here where... A bunch of animals enter the courtroom and you know start mucking everything up as as wild animals are wont to do, um, such as a tiger and a bear and uh, you know all the all the standard battle morphs we've known come to know and love.
3: Yeah, it's um, two what what they think are morphed hawkbejewer, a tiger and a bear, right? So they just yeah. bust into the room and start attacking things <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so it's,
2: it's, it's crazy to me that um that this didn't end in more catastrophe because i mean you, i want to see i want to see the book or the the chapter that they left out where you know like five horcubiger are, are waiting outside the small little warehouse in york with like a chained up bear and tiger and they're like okay so what's what is what signal do we pop open the door and just let these things go
0: yeah right uh, no dude I, th- I think i think you and and jimmy were supposed to run in first waving your uh dracon beams oh, around
2: where's jimmy he had the elephant yeah i, see I mean it.
3: <laughs> we're kind of giving away the surprise a little bit because i mean when this first happens the thoughts even from viscer one is that these are the andalay bandits right i mean she knows at least marco is one of them but the andalay bandits are attacking and why not sure this she, she sees the gorilla
0: and you know the Vizier 3 did a good job in making it kind of seem like that for a bit but even the writers give it away that these are just regular animals because they all die and okay. visit 3 yeah. gets to look like the big shot you know hero here for a second he looks all good before the council um, who, who's just there in hologram? It's worth pointing out well, they're they're actually they're, on they're, the Yurik world.
3: Yeah, there's a little bit of setup that I think we need to make, which is there's a on top of the trial, there's a battle that's happening kind of at the same time about how the invasion of Earth should proceed. Right, so this are three wants to go into all-out war. He's like, we will crush the humans. Yeah, we'll kill a couple million of them or whatever, but they'll submit. They'll surrender, and we'll have all these hosts, and then it'll be quick and easy. And Visser One, who was the one you know, who started the subtle invasion, is like, no, we can't do that. Now, there's reasons for that that we'll get to later in the book, but you know, there, there's this kind of underlying battle that's taking place, and this trial is going to sort of determine do we go an all out war and just invade humans and take what we can or do we continue this kind of subversion and um
0: yeah it's always seemed a little fishy like why does visor 1 wanna you know do the sneaky route and you know take as few human lives as possible um when in the end that's that's really not going to matter um it's it's always been like a, a lingering question kind of and this book does go into I think and give her a reason as to why she doesn't want just total outright catastrophe and attacking and, and death and destruction um, and uh, yeah you find yeah. out the reason for it right here actually do <laughs> you want to you well, want to talk about uh, it Coleman
2: uh, no go, go ahead Richard
3: um yeah I mean this obviously this is a ruse these these animals bursting into the room these what they what they're trying to push off as morphed Hawk Bajir. Um This is basically the one excuse that Visser Three has had for the council as to why he hasn't been as successful on Earth is the Andalite bandits, or in this case, they're, they're calling them like elite Andalite gorillas that landed on the planet and have just like <laughs> messed up every plan that he's made. And with this, with this show... I want to read that
2: book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: With with the showing of, haha, we're in this great courtroom drama and the andalites bust in and they're going to kill both Vissers, and it's this great target and, and Visser three just cuts them down and he's like, okay, problem solved. now we can get some work done. Now in my opinion this is kind of stupid on Visser 3's part or part because I mean, h- how are the Council of 13 not going to know that the Andalite bandits still exists? I mean what's going to be Visser three's excuse in the future? when the Andalite Bandits attacked and his plan inevitably gets shut down. And he yeah,
2: says,
0: he just got oh, rid yeah. of his
3: only excuse <laughs> for
0: failure,
2: well, to play, yeah, absolutely. To play uh, York advocate on this, uh, you could say that Visor 3 doesn't have a long arcane plan right here. Uh, he's he's high enough that he can take some blowback from uh, these falsehoods or whatever, but his goal right now is in the next hour, how can I make sure Visor 1 is dead? And to that short end goal... A little attack like this. I mean, even Viser One admits that you know it kind of put her at a loss, uh, at least in the short term. Yeah,
0: and it, it, by following it up with this other revelation, uh, it's really kind of driving a nail in Viser One's coffin. Um, so, Viser Three brings in the, you know the the surprise witness, um, <laughs> this old human host body who's who's kind of gone crazy now, um, called Spacey. And he kind of drops a bombshell that uh, they had some babies together, him and and Vizzer One.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's without hearing the story, without doing further into the memory dumps and everything like that, um, it's got to be a pretty huge blow to any Yurk to be doing any kind of experimental uh, procreation. With a species they're infesting. I mean, that's they're they're pretty by the book, and they do some weird things as far as like killing hosts and torturing them just to make sure the Yurk learns a lesson. But it's got to be it's got to be the um, the one thing that can raise eyebrows in the Yurk community. Like, wait, you guys did what?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Because they view other species procreation as just pointless. It, it doesn't further the Yurk's goal in any way, and you know, it's it's a very uh, complicated and uh, unnecessary process to involve themselves in when they're conquering a species. You know, we're um, better
3: than that. Yeah, pretty
0: much. So it,
3: it, it like, does kind of make you wonder what the long-term plans of the Yurks would be. You know, even if they were to get the humans. You know, eventually, obviously, the hosts will get older and die. So. You know, there there think, uh, will I be imagine. uh there will be volunteer well, no, 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 human hosts at one point that
0: all they do is just breed <laughs> quote unquote and yeah, uh yeah, they'll, you be, they'll
2: have be living the good slave life. That. But the thing is you got to think in a yurk uh, a yurk controlled world. It's like a big bureaucracy. You know, they're okay with having like breeding centers where they can control the process. It's efficient. Uh, you know, they it's it's, it's these rogue activities that are a problem especially from one the highest in command before you know there were other witnesses or anyone else to make sure things are going kosher or you know it's just very icky even to the yurks
0: totes um but you know immediately you're thinking that uh, uh she had these babies in in this jenny body but um she goes on to tell her story and reveal how she jumped from jenny to this allison uh who was uh much better off uh, as a, a host body because she's more intelligent uh, had a better career going for herself and uh SM went from this lowenstein guy to this this spacey this man named hildy um who they had the babies with um so now that they're they're like human tester bodies are out of the way. These are kind of the character bodies that they'll be stuck with for a little while, uh, for the bulk of the book anyway. And, um, this, this is the one that she has the babies in obviously. And, and she talks about how, um, this Allison is so smart and, and capable that she even managed to, uh, retain a little bit of control of her body as, as we've heard, uh, vaguely hinted at in some other books of of some, uh, host body's being able to do. And she uses it ever so slyly like, to to close an eye while she's driving uh, to try to kill herself. It's, it's very cool.
2: I like that, that uh, Edris is aware of this. And she might not be aware of exactly how or when it's going to be used. But the fact that she's just like, huh, I'm going to let her... It's a little game they're playing. It's like, I'm going to see if she can take control of this or you know whatnot and then oh shit she did something with it
3: yeah you know it's it's pretty neat because the Yorks up to that point haven't really been able to infest a species that had really any intelligence i mean the ged uh the hawk and the uh, taxons they don't really have the self-awareness for the most part to be able to contemplate and plan and and enact uh, uh and fight back able able and, like, wrest control
0: of their body back from them. Yeah, I, I think and humans are the only species to ever do that. that
3: they yeah, imagine. so, I mean, she she saw it almost as a game. Like, oh, man, here's this almost equal. Because let's be honest, the Yerks, for all their technology, and, you know, most of that came from the Andalites. So I, I imagine they have to be, you know, they're, they're further technologically advanced. But as far as intelligence goes, um, I don't know if they're... That much different. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, because obviously I think, what they...
2: this, I think what this boils down to is that we think this is a story of the Yerkes invading Earth, when really this is the origins of Yerkes accidentally invading a level four species, not a level five. This is this is the Andalites before they had spaceships. You know.
0: Wow. This this is this is five. this whole book and story is a, a love story to humanity, really, because this is all about how Viser One. Learns to fall in love with humans and and learns about what they are. And she even goes on to say about how she admires uh, like humans' ability to fight and survive against these kind of impossible odds. Um, she's always very moved by how even when humans are in a losing position, they know they can't win. They're still going to fight back and they're still going to uh, try. Whereas we've seen in the past before, if if Yurks you know know they're in a bad situation, they fold. Um, they don't have that like survival instinct, and that might even be what there. sets a uh, Viser One apart.
1: <clears throat> yeah,
2: hmm. uh, I don't know if it directly pertains to her, but it's a it's an interesting thought.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, it, because Eslem the whole time we've you know we've been talking a lot about Viser One, but she's been there with Eslem two nine three, which is was that you know subordinate that she brought along. And she specifically chose him because he wasn't a hardcore Yurk. You know, he he was a sub visitor at one time and was demoted because he wasn't able to be brutal enough and and seemed to have some empathy towards uh, the people that were around him. And he he certainly... Go ahead. mm, He he certainly, you know... uh, Falling for humanity just as much as it seems, Visser One is, if not more.
0: Yeah, I, I really dug the uh, the parallels between these two characters because you've got um, you know uh, Esam or, or Hildi, who is very clearly going along with and falling in love with the humans. He mentions that you know he talks to his host body, and and they actually like they're they're on a more friendshipy kind of level, so to speak. Um, and and he, he's all about, you know, making the babies and he wants to give up his Yurk identity to take care of the babies later on. Um, and I think if he had continued to live, this would have been the Yurk that started the whole peace movement. Um, that's what it really reminds me of is, is the Yurks that like the ones we see that want to go in the peace movement. There are Yurks that aren't interested in uh, uh, taking their invasion any further. They just fall in love with the humanity and, and what they get out of it. Um, so, it, it's really interesting that they, they play off each other for a while, and then she eventually comes around to feeling the way he does and, and loving the humans, but, you know, she's torn to her yerk uh, loyalties. Where are we on in the story? What's happening yeah. now?
3: She's still, she's still very <laughs> ambitious. Like, she does she... she I think slowly gains a respect for humanity and primarily this Allison person that she's been you know controlling for however long and uh but she she's still very ambitious you know her thoughts do continue to go back to well I'm going to be made a viscer once I turn over this uh this class 5 species
0: Yeah but the the revelation that she kind of breeded and and gave birth to humans um, has has really ruined her credibility here in fra- in face of the uh, council. So this is where they hook her up to the live memory dump because they're like, we're not sure if we can trust you anymore, um, and and she goes on to reveal like shit. Well, I gotta tell them the real story here now. So um she she had fully admits to you know and coming to enjoy her time talking with allison and and they debate all these different topics and um off kind of doing his thing as hildy He, he mentions how he enjoys his human job and uh they they sort of jump around through their memories of uh just the next couple of years and uh Even go into, like, Visor One's emotions, like, missing SM while he's away. That's a very human emotion. A Yurk had probably never missed another Yurk before, you know? Um, So just being hit with things like that in a human body must be really, really hard. Especially when you're cut off from the rest of your uh, species. She's completely cut off from the Yurk Empire besides the kind of uh, occasional messages she gets to send them on her uh, uh, ship. And they still haven't made contact yet. They still haven't made. This Koenig is definitely your empire.
2: Definitely a uh, definitely time for another Visitor One emotional check. I think at this point she <laughs> right, um, she's is, and I keep calling it. That's the crazy thing about this York. I can't stop calling her her. Even well, yeah, exactly. They're, they're basically genderless. Hosts, yeah, even though only two of her hosts have been women. Um, it's still like that's I always have seen Visitor 1 throughout the entire series as a woman because of that well she initially uh,
0: preferred the woman body over Lowenstein's fat old man <laughs>
2: <pot> who doesn't <laughs> um, but <laughs> still the point the point is uh, her emotional state at this point is uh, not just confusion but fear like we've been out here so long we're so cut off from the York Empire um, it's, it's crazy to see how, how gung-ho she was at the beginning of this memory dump even not that not too long after everything, um, she is just ready to call it quits and live out her life on Earth. Um, that's how that's how powerful the human uh, humanity's pull is on her at this point.
3: So there's there's one thing that I, I think we should mention about this live memory dump, which is this this memory is not displayed to the Council of Thirteen in its entirety. You know, nobody can see this except for one person who is Garof. Right.
2: I thought that was just no. The no. The entire council is watching these. It's the, the live memory dump that only he's a part of.
3: Yeah, and that's what I thought we were talking
2: about. The live dump. Are we already in the live dump? Yeah. yeah. This is. I just. Little, yeah. I said the oh, because okay, they don't sorry. trust her after
0: the the baby thing. They're like, we better check I, this shit yeah. out live.
2: We're tuning in. Yeah. Trying to fact check us so much, I lost <laughs> that we were already in the live <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the,
3: the live dump you know, happen because uh, the previous memory dumps that were viewable by all of the, the council and Viscera 3 and all that had been done voluntarily via Viscer 1 after she had come back from her initial encounter with, with the humans and the, her time spent there. But apparently people of Viscera rank aren't required to do dumps regularly. And yeah. this is a... Yeah, the live dump is sort of a, we're going to get the real story straight from your brain... But it's only connected to one member of the Council of Thirteen, who is Garoth. And Garoth is essentially the spokesperson between the Council of Thirteen and the trial itself. And from what we've seen in the book so far, Garoth seems to have Visser-1's back a little bit, for whatever reason. Uh, I think she had mentioned well, that she's yeah, a mentor. Yeah, he was her mentor, yeah. Right.
2: Okay. Yeah.
3: I wanted to mention that the live the live feed wasn't being seen by uh, by everybody because it, it's very damning. I mean, part of the uh, – we didn't mention any of the charges that were, were leveled against Visser 1, but a big
0: – Oh, yeah, them yeah. Them her her charge team. list is, is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it's mostly yeah, death. It's, death or death by starvation of Candrona.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's – death by drake death by starvation or death by torture yeah it's all fun stuff
2: here's the big question is the is the book implying that garoth is the flat-out emperor
3: it's she does mention that he could be um he's certainly the he's one that kind of, talks the most <laughs> yeah i mean even like out of the i think it said there were nine hark including garoth who's all battle scarred and stuff there's two taxons, and there's two mystery ones that are kind of hidden in shadow, and um, nobody. Calling it, calling it right is. now.
0: One of them is Krayak. <laughs> no,
3: no, the other one's And the, the and
2: other one's Elemis. Yeah, there it is.
3: <laughs> we got the that hit would right be here. An amazing, uh, that'd be an amazing <laughs> turning point. But. No, but
2: uh, I mean, it would make sense if he was, just because you know the mentor of Visitor One is probably a pretty powerful person, has been around the block a few times. But uh, at the same time, if they're doing these broadcasts all the time or these trials or whatever, um, you'd have to think that it's, it would be very easy to just have kind of a spokesperson on the council, and then you don't know who the real emperor is, if it's just someone who speaks well or... Just, they
0: oh, sure. That, that could be it. Uh, even though he was in a body and we routine, routinely hear about how they like have a hard time speaking uh, English and, and they like butcher their words. There's none of that in this. He, he's a very well-spoken hork I guess. Um, and, you know, that's the reason why while they're doing this live dump, uh, uh, Gareth's kind of popping in and and watching the memories with her like she mentions how in one of them they're driving and he you know is sitting shotgun there um and then you know they're they're doing this montage kind of <laughs> segment where they're jumping through memories and they keep going forward um and gareth's becoming very alarmed at, at what seems like you know visor one falling in love with this human life and suddenly she's pregnant now uh, with twins and they keep jumping ahead. Uh, and after that, they're, they're running low on Kendrona. Um, and that's what kind of starts this whole, like, falling out between um, Essim and Edris. Uh, because, you know, Essim really wants to stay and take care of the twins. Like, that's what he's all about now. Um, but shit's not going to be that easy.
2: I, I do think it's interesting that... Um... Garuth, whether he's emperor or not, uh, he is understanding of uh, you know, all of the things that it takes to get into the higher levels of the Yurk Empire. Like, all the rules you break, all the laws you break, at the end of the day, it's more about your successes that matter than, than all your failures. Yeah,
0: than your transgressions.
2: <laughs> yeah, because it seems like, to get into the higher-ups of the Yurks, there's a lot of dead bodies on the trail behind them so
3: (laughs) yeah i mean the rules of the York empire are more like guidelines you know it's like yeah we don't care that much but um certainly if you if you do some serious stuff they're gonna have to hold you accountable for it
2: like lie to the council
3: (laughs) yeah it's just kind of a known a known that in order to rise to the level of a viscer or whatever you're gonna have to do some stuff that's against the, the on the book rules essentially
0: Right, uh, and you know, one of the big no-nos of their rules are probably, it's probably even an unwritten rule, they just know it, is don't blend in and become one of your, your host bodies. Don't let the host body consume you, you know? You're still in there. Um, which well, it's is, not which even like a general rule, f- it's
2: more of like a, it's a... It's- something they're disgusted by their whole livelihood is taking control of these hosts and it'd be it'd be like I don't know not being good at sports or something you know it's something that other people look down on um it's just uh it's just you know something that the yurks it's it's so basic to their core I wouldn't even call it a law of their society just more of you know like why should we promote you if you can't even keep control of yours if you're in love with your host
3: (laughs) yeah well go ahead it the um the thing is is that from what I've seen throughout the series is that humanity is the first species that they've had to um, infest through subtlety. Right? They just kinda charged in and started getting hark The the Ged, who knows how they managed to infest the first Ged. I'm guessing they just the Ged stuck his head in a york pool or something.
2: Yeah, but, I say fell in. Like fell yeah. into a yerk pool. <laughs> fell
3: in and Yerk was like, Oh, this this is cool, let's go ahead and take over this thing. Um, But, you know, humanity is the first group that we've heard of that they've had to get through subversion. So, you know, they are living day-to-day lives. They are infecting uh, groups that have, you know, pre-existing families and relationships. And it's got to be kind of um, a new experience. And especially with this rule stuff that, hey, yeah, you know, we're expecting you. You're going to be pure yerk through and through. But you also have to live the second life as a, as another person for extended periods of time, so you know the fact that they have um, some people that are turncoating on them, and the and you know Visser one in this com- in this point sort of did, uh, and the uh, the Yerk, what's what's the Yerk's name that Cassie was with in nineteen? I can't remember. Um, it should be that surprising, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I bet the uh, your propaganda is just amazing for, you know, don't don't become a human, uh, or, or in their case, like some of the earlier stuff would be like, uh, resist the urge to eat your fellow coworker for the tax and controllers, or something.
2: Are you having a little too much fun at these human pool parties? Visit a counselor today.
0: <laughs> well, they so probably would have Yurk to therapy. have therapy. Yeah, there would probably have to have some kind of like psychologist, a Yurk psychologist, on hand to like talk people out of you know wanting to indulge in human activities. Or, well, yeah, or
2: you or gotta like have that. like like a Weight Watchers for Yurks. You gotta have a uh, AA meetings, sex addicts, like all the pleasures of humanity.
3: Yeah, I mean, because uh, albeit the Yurks are a, a parasitic species, the thing is, is that you know as we've seen, they're not. Evil by nature, it's more of a cultural thing. So, you know, you take a whole bunch of them and you start infesting tens of thousands of humans, there's going to be a few that, you know, just because the experience isn't there uh, previously, that are going to probably begin to kind of make it almost a symbiotic situation. Well, that'll
0: that'll make them as diverse as humanity already is. So, uh, we we already see that causing divisions amongst us. and and just the way that people want to do things, the way people want to run things, uh, Yurks are no different from that. As soon as they absorb humanity, they get the best of us, but they also get the worst of us. Boom! Put that on a cover if you, somewhere. You can't. If you can't.
2: <laughs> you can't handle the worst of humanity. You don't deserve us at our best.
0: <laughs> true, true, Dad. And you know what? At this point. Advice. Th- things are not looking so good for Vizzer One here after this whole bombshell revelation that, you know, they, they're really falling in love with humanity and, and they had these babies that they wanted to care for. Um, and it's at the point where she's almost lost so much credit that they're just like, we need to take a recess right now. Uh, uh, this visitor One's host body is apparently about to b- burst from urine and, <laughs> and stool burst. samples uh we we got to get her out of here and get her some actual food so they they just take a little break and this is where even Eva is like man uh things are not going so well for you but I see something in you visitor 1 uh something's there and and I'm going to help you a little bit here and uh you know during this break this this is a great little uh break from the trial scene Uh, gives Vizzer1 some time to refresh her memories and and just eat and shit, literally. (laughs) But she's also able to snatch a cell phone, and this is like the whole key to the plot here of of making things work out, is that she sees another controller uh, human with a cell phone that goes off, and she manages to bump into her and swipe it from her. Um, And so thank goodness for that, otherwise we wouldn't have you know the great stuff that goes down here.
3: Yeah, because I mean, the whole time during all these memory dumps and and Visser One telling the story, I mean, Eva, Marker's mom, has been in the back seat essentially making comments, and Visser One is seeing that 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 sort of trap is closing on her second by second, and she realizes that, you know, after the false attack of the Andalite bandits, you know, on Visser Three and the, and the killing of them. Her, her saving grace at this point is if the Andalite bandits actually do attack. <laughs> yeah. And basically, prove that Viscer 3, you're full of crap and you just lied to the council. Um, how do you plead?
2: So- but from, from the beginning of the trial, her plan has been kind of like, can I turn this back on Visor 3? Uh, the way they accuse each other at the beginning, the very dramatic courtroom beginning, uh, where they're yelling at each other and acting like lawyers from TV. <laughs> um, they, they both are trying to pin on the other. just so far visitor 3 has had a much stronger argument
0: Well he's had all, all the resources and, and you know the freedom to arrange things like the fake Andalite bandit attack. Um, so yeah everything's really working to his favor. it's it's that she manages to swipe the cell phone and and go to a bathroom stall and put in the call to Marco. Um, the the call that we saw, you know, at the very end of the last book, uh, the proposal. Um, this is where that picks up, and uh, it, it's just really good stuff. I mean, this this phone call with Marco is so tense.
2: Um, they really need to take down that one eight hundred animorphs number. Um, they're really w- way too easy to get a hold of.
3: Well, she just calls her home. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 kind of funny because I mean, she knows that Marco is an andalite bandit and she keeps that information to herself she doesn't inform the council she doesn't inform viscer three because she's happier to see viscer three fail um yep she wants him struggling out there (laughs) um so yeah but
2: as viscer one here's the thing that doesn't make as much sense as viscer one and especially after this book we see how much uh her roots are really in earth Uh, how much Earth matters to her personally, professionally, all these things. Um, I don't understand. If she is Vizzer 1, why is Vizzer 3 able to control Earth at all? Why is he on Earth at all? Why isn't she heading up the fight um, and continuing to do things her way? She has authority over him. That's because the the council has
0: clearly assigned Vizzer 3 the task of Earth right now.
2: And she just has enough pull to make it happen the way she wants?
0: Not after the uh, uh, the reunion went down. Well, she was obviously, obviously in horrible now. standings there.
2: Um, yeah, but I'm just saying in general, Viser One has always seemed, and this is probably the truth of the writing up to this point or up to the first point they they mentioned the Council of Thirteen. It's always seemed like Viser One is controlling the war effort against the Andalites in general, and Viser Three was in control of Earth. But obviously now we're seeing how much the stakes are with her and Earth and and how much Earth means to her. It's it's weird that she's allowed him so much blundering control.
0: Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Um Well, I I I want to talk about this Marco phone call because um you know, (laughs) he's so he's so distant, and it's really a different Marco than we've seen. Uh, up to this point, you know, whenever he talked to his, his mother before he'd always get, you know, choked up. There was a period of time where he couldn't even talk to her in the, that, that first book, um, because that would give away his secret. Um, but now that that's all out and gone, uh, he's got really nothing to lose here. And, and he makes it very clear that he doesn't care if she dies. Um, he's not really in this to save her or anything like that. Uh, makes it very clear that he's going to kill the yerk. Um, he just doesn't seem willing to help her at all until she, you know, clearly spells out how that they can break into the yerk pool where she's being held. And so he, he kind of seems to agree to it. But, you know, there's no real uh, guarantee that him and his, his buddies are going to show up and save her and bail her out. Um, and she's, you know, just hauled Especially back into not the at courtroom. at the
2: exact right time she needs him to.
0: Well, she does say, "Come right now, immediately." And they all live within the town. The Irk Pool is immediately under them. Um, pretty much anywhere you go in the the downtown area, um, so it's it's not a far stretch to think that they could get there quick. You know, that's true. Yeah. It's
2: just it's uh, just they've had emissions before they've gone to the Irk Pool, especially with the new filters, with the drones, all these things that that are making it a, such a dangerous place. They, you know, had weeks and some, you know, at least days in advance to to plot how to get in and stop things. And, man, it just looks so easy in this book.
3: Yeah, you know, the Yorkpool Pool has always been, from book one, you know, a hard target for them to deal with. It's just dangerous to go in there. I'm not even just getting in there itself, but, like, being in there is obviously just a death trap. And they basically throw out this sort of plot device. Yeah, there's some tax and meat being shipped in. That ought to be easy enough. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, you point, know what? You, you, you make a good
0: point that the Yurk Pool is hard to penetrate and all that. But let's not forget that a weakened Cassie infiltrated and made it out of the Yurk Pool all by herself and then went on to perform alien brain surgery. So um Cassie i'm, I'm willing she to give them a. am <laughs> willing to give them a pass on this one because she flat out tells them like where the cargo's coming in how it's getting down and you know they're they're smart enough and capable enough at this point to to uh take control of a couple taxons
3: yeah you know the thing is is as much as i'm appreciative of being here with you guys chatting in this in this podcast um you hate this book is amazing it well <laughs> i mean maybe a little but the uh this book is is a fantastic book, but the one thing that I wish was, you know, there's not much of the main cast in it. And this this chapter here that's dedicated to Visser One reaching out to Marco is really a, a very, very powerful chapter and I like um you know, Marco's reaction. Yes, he is very distant. He is very cold. And it kind of shows, you know, the character's development. I mean, one of the reasons why Marco decided to stay in the war was because of his mom. And uh You know, here he is flat out saying like, yeah, you know, what's it to me? I'll kill you. You know, if I have to kill my mom, I'll do it, whatever. But um, yeah, the difference is now
0: he's just looking for a resolution to the the whole situation. It's it it used to be I'm going to get my mom back like that was the possibility. He he had the hope for it. Now it's I need to end this situation, this conflict with Vizor one, whether it is through her death or not.
3: And, and after this conversation that they have, where they discuss, you know, Marco coming with the with the animorphs and Axe, um, to basically make a show of face, there's a there's a little bit at the end of this chapter that I'd like to read if you guys don't mind.
2: Oh wow, yeah, you're f- falling right in line with our podcast. One <laughs> well, that, that's reading. that's
0: that's after the animorphs already come into the trial.
3: No, 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 not yet. This is still the conversation of Marco. Okay, yeah, badass. Badass, read it. So, Visser One is sitting in a bathroom stall on a stolen cell phone. So you've got one of the highest-ranking members of the Yurk army or or military drop down to this level where they're forced to call one of the Animorphs. And Marco is just, like, dead on point where he doesn't make a whole lot of... uh, Conversation about it, and at the end of it, he doesn't even commit to it. He's like, yeah, Okay, you know, we'll see. And um, he says, It was his only show of emotion. His voice cracked when he said, Mom, I know you will. I love you, Eva said, silent, a prisoner inside her own skull. Marco, your mother loves you, I said. But if I've been expecting him to soften, I got the opposite result. I know my mother loves me, Visser, he said. And let me make one thing clear. There's no deal between us, you and me, Yerk. I'll kill you for what you've done to her and to my dad. Count on that. And he hung up. The door (laughs) burst in as I slammed the cell phone into the toilet bowl and flush. Preposterous. A scrawny teenager threatening me. I was a prisoner of Visser Three, already all but condemned to a death by torture and starvation. Did the child think he could frighten me? It was laughable. And yet you are not laughing, are you, Yurk? Says Eva. So <laughs> Marco oh. just dr- dropped that on her. I mean, you got Visser One, one of the most dangerous Yurks in the, you know, that they've come up against, coming to beg on hands and knees, essentially. And um, Marco just drops that on her. And even Eva, in the back of uh, her skull, is just still kind of mocking her. It's just nice to see that, you know, how fall, or how far the uh, mighty have fallen, basically.
2: Totally. there's still a ways to go.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, you know what else I forgot to mention about the, the Animorphs penetrating the Yurk Pool this time? They brought Eric. Okay? So, that uh, kind of yeah, explains I mean. everything. <laughs> 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 yeah, They, they think, brought Eric. Honestly, went to Eric.
2: Eric, just like Axe, Eric should be an Animorph at this point. I mean, he just should be. <laughs>
0: Yeah, basically. Um, but uh, like you said, you know, th- this is where she has to uh, discard her cell phone and just kind of hope that Marco's coming to to back her up, even though it also means that she's still going to die. So her only hope is also her biggest threat, really. Um, and they they take her back into the courtroom and throw her back on, and she's. Uh, She's got to go right back into her story about how. Uh, well, this is this is kind of the you know the mid to to closing section of the book here where they're kind of winding things down and uh, because of uh, their candrona starvation that they're they're running low on candrona, they're they're forced to contact the Uruk Empire at this point and one uh, goes ahead and does it without really consulting uh, her her companion about it. Um, and you know, she informs him about the class five species to kind of get off the hook. And, uh, she goes back to tell us about all this and, and it causes an actual argument. And and this is sort of where you have the split between these two, uh, starting to forge more strongly because SM really wants to stay with the humans and just like get some new Candrona and like lie to lie to their superiors some more and stay on earth. Um, (coughs) but you know uh, uh Essam is is able to talk them out of it so to speak and and they agree to kind of leave hollywood um, to go to a little bit smaller of a place and that's why we get a lot of these theories that the the town that they're in is somewhere in uh northern california i think is that that about right it's not la per se
2: it could be northern it could be mid I and mean, it could be like near modesto or um you know, just it's just any kind of beach town. Most people say uh, parts of them are just San Diego, but not as big of a city. Um, so it's really up in the air, but just a random coastal California town.
0: Yeah. But this is where we actually get into them. Starting the sharing finally pops up here.
2: Um, uh, where am I, my notes? Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> are you looking for where you
3: Yeah. I mean, Allison. at this point, um, Idris had been still in an Allison, and they essentially had taken, you know, this this rich producer when they were Jenny Lyons and um, Lowenstein. L- Lowenstein. You know, before they they offed off, or before they offed Lowenstein and, and Jenny off, they um, transferred a bunch of money from his bank account into a different one, and now that they're in these new hosts, they're they're pretty well off, and.
0: Yeah, she mentions yeah, how she starts the crazy. sharing. She starts the sharing not as Allison, but as this other host body that she picks up uh, uh, a male um, with three three names <laughs> because those are in. Um, <laughs> just like we saw with the the William Roger Tennant thing in the proposal, the previous book. She yeah, starts the sharing with one of those three namey kind of feel goody sort of people.
2: Yeah, it's it's crazy to see like that, and this is this is. I think really relevant to this book taking place in the nineties is you had some of those George Jones type cults popping up, um, all over the place. And, and they just, they got such a gathering and to see, uh, talk about this book being dark, uh, nothing it's talking about besides the alien presence, nothing it's talk talking about isn't something that didn't actually happen in real life and scam and, and ruin a lot of people's lives to this day.
3: There, there's a there's a big debate between uh, Idris and Essam, where Idris is is very confident after having, you know, they've been on Earth for quite some time now and had several host bodies, and you know she's she's come to the conclusion that you can make humans uh, voluntarily uh, become hosts, and Essam is essentially yeah that'll never happen they they won't do that, and so the sharing um, is essentially a uh, a tool to play on humanity's weakness, and she she brings this up multiple times. You know that humans have a weakness. Humans have a weakness, and what she decides to target is, you know, our our uh, desire to belong, to be to be wanted, to be a part of something, and that's where the sharing you know begins. Is to just play on that weakness and draw people in who who may feel outside of society and give them a place to go. And like Coleman was saying, it's definitely very. It meshes very well in with reality because I mean those things happen. That's what cults are.
0: Yeah, totally. Like the the Jonestown and all of that crazy stuff that I'm sure more than influenced you know this book, if not a lot of the series. so the the rift is forming between these two characters you know as clearly wants to uh well at this point he's thinking it's it'd just be better for him to die and let the humans be um but but we've got edris kind of
2: convincing him otherwise um and and which is a it's a i mean that's a big deal seeing the act of self self-sacrifice from a york a york that wasn't ambitious a yurk that wasn't has nothing to gain or or could do all these things with like straight up self-sacrifice from a yurk who's dying of kendrona starvation
0: yeah he didn't want he didn't want him to uh, hurt the kids um and then you know we get back to the trial and Visor three and another wacky turn of uh, surprises <laughs> brings in another guest witness and it's uh this time uh one of the twins the boy um and, you know, in a really screwed up scene, tosses Visor one a gun and is like, here, murder your child.
2: <laughs> and I like, yeah. there's, a, there's a little detail here. And I know you're going back to what probably about what, something that was just said. But there's a little detail with the kid and the gun. Because uh, you think, you know, handing Vizzer-1 a gun in general is just a bad idea. But the child with the with the host, uh, holds on to the gun and puts it right up to their chest and, like, holds it there so that she can't use it as, like, a weapon against anybody else.
3: Well, yeah, because this is a very intense scene because you know we saw through the primarily the live memory dump that you know th- the affection that Visser One began to have for humanity, and there was this weird relationship between Edris and Eslem and um, Hildy and Allison, where yeah they were controllers, but they still did this thing and they had children and. You know, Edris and Essam felt sort of like parents, even though they didn't actually, you know, provide anything. Birth the <laughs> children. Yeah, I mean yeah. they they were they were controlling the bodies that did it, but they still had these feelings. And the point is, is that Garoff was the only one of the council who saw her attachment to these uh, children and to these these hosts, and as well as Essam. So when that live memory dump ended and Garoff basically said, Okay, well let's just continue, he didn't describe, yeah, she had these affections towards the kids. So nobody else in this trial knows how Visser One really feels about the children. And what happens is essentially Visser One or Visser three walks her into a trap and says, Okay, well what about the children? Did you care for them? And she says, Absolutely not. Um, it was just a matter of me understanding humanity, and that is that pretty much puts her in the position where he goes, "Oh, okay. Well, then kill your kid, if you yeah, don't yeah. care it's about." Yeah, it's great. Him. You,
2: got, you got Eva in, the, in her head yelling, "No, this is a trap!" Right as she's yeah. saying it, it's great.
3: Yeah, Eva. It's nice to see the the uh, Eva and Marco. You, know, you see where Marco gets his his uh, smarts from. I mean, uh, Eva plays very much like a Marco in this uh, in this book. Where she sees the trap before it's sprung, and she does try to help um, Edris and staying out of them, but unfortunately, Edris, and you know, tr- trying to defend herself, uh, walks into Three's trap, and now is put in the position where she has to essentially shoot her own child.
0: Yeah, but luckily, I mean, before, you know, it's really tense for a moment, and you're you're on the edge of your seat thinking that she's actually going to do it. Um, Very much probably would have here to save her own skin. But luckily, this is when the Animorphs finally do break in and and strike. And uh, uh, they're able to, in this confusion and chaos, uh, Marco uh, can scoop up visor one and get her to temporary safety while everyone's kind of battling around them. And, uh, it it gives us the, the nice scene of Marco reunited with his mom and visor one. Um, and just what happens with that? Because I, I honestly, I wasn't expecting Eva to agree to the terms of, you know, leaving, uh, uh, Eva's body for for any period of time. Uh, she really puts her trust in, in Marco to not kill her here.
2: Well, she's pretty desperate, and it's a very enemy of your enemy is my friend kind of scenario. Because uh, every interaction with the Animorphs for her has been, you know, pretty horrible as well, but they've never killed her. And uh, even though Marco tried the last time, uh, she doesn't really have another option here, so...
3: Yeah, I mean, what happens, essentially Marco tells Axe, the, put your tail against her throat, cut her head off at the count of ten if she doesn't comply. And, I mean, what's Visser 1's options? She either complies, and I, Eva straight up says, like, no, Marco will kill us. Like, there's not even a question about it. So she either dies or she comes out and hopes that... Um, Whatever Marco and his mom discuss ends up working out in her favor. And they are hidden by Eric in a hologram right now because they're still in the York pool.
0: <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. They don't really they don't really mention it's cool though, because it's from uh uh Visitor ones perspective, she doesn't know about Eric and she just says like, you know, we're in a hologram, how do you guys how are you doing this? And Marco's kind of offhandedly is like, it's something we put together uh with parts of, from Radio Shack. <laughs> Um, not willing to give away their secret, so at least she doesn't know about the uh, the chi.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's something that I, I'm interested to see, and uh, I'm sure you know this, Richard. But you know, there's a lot of ghostwritten books that we haven't read, and I, I'm waiting for the chi to be revealed in some way, or them to be a more part of the Yurks thought process, or or it doesn't. I don't think it really
0: anymore. happens until the last book or two. Or three, maybe, when well, they're in all-out war.
3: Well, the last yeah, dep-
2: books... Go ahead.
3: Well, it depends on how much you want me to give away, but in all honesty, the Chi, if I'm remembering correctly, literally never become part of the Yorks radar. The Yorks never learn about them. Um,
0: oh, yeah, and you know what? That actually causes a huge rift between Jake and Eric later in the series because uh, he resents them for not being a bigger part of Earth's defenses. Um, And and the Chi choose to kind of stay hidden, stay out of the fight. Um, Yeah. So I I think I recall that.
3: Yeah. Essentially the rift happens because Jake puts the Chi in a position that they really don't want to be in. And he,
0: yeah, he it, uses them.
3: <laughs> essentially, he uses them really, really hard. Yeah, but as far as the Yerks learning about the Chi, no, I don't. I don't think it ever happens. And it was kind of neat in this book where Visser One kind of looked at the hologram technology, and obviously she doesn't see Eric's standing around or anything because she notes like, well, the hologram can a holog- hide
2: itself. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. If it's a hologram of this advanced technology, it can probably hide itself. And they're like. Yeah, this is probably even outside of Andalite technology. So she knows something's kind of amiss, but obviously she doesn't know what the actual full
2: detail is. Let's just be glad that the Pemolites didn't land on the Yerk home world and give them their technology instead of the Andalites. That would have. Been, <laughs> I don't uh, think they would have uh, found book the, series.
0: I don't think they would have found the little gray slugs quite as uh, entertaining or attractive as dogs, though. So. I don't think there's yeah, but their dogs would have their dogs would
2: have been playing in the yerk pools and messing it all up and picking up yurks and dragging them across the ground and just it would have been a, <laughs> just a messy situation.
0: I guess so. Um, well, anyway, with this whole scene, we get Essam uh, uh, or Visitor One kind of leaves Eva's body. She has a nice little chat with Marco that we're not really privy to at this particular page. Um, but but she does get to go back inside Eva's body and um, uh, it, it's it, she finds out that it's actually Eva who w- wanted them to put her back in um, because she thinks that, you know, she needs to be there to kind of aid vizer one with this uh, uh, situation with Vizer three, wanting a full invasion. Um, but Vizer one at least wants to keep it, you know, subtle and secret and so she's going to kind of stay where she's at and try and help influence the war that way. Um, so it's a really big decision coming from her, just like an equally big decision from Marco um, allowing all this to happen, essentially, um, and being okay not with to mention, it.
2: Not to mention this backfires on her multiple times at, towards <laughs> it, the end of this book.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean,
3: um, this her one the reason one of the biggest reasons she wants to do the the slow invasion is so that they she can protect the, the two children because she had twins right she had a boy and a girl yeah. yep. as Allison and she wants to protect her children um, and apparently she has periodically you know checked in on them as as time has gone on and Eva essentially tells Marco hey look this is this is how I fight this battle this is how I I fight the war is we we don't kill Visser One because she's gonna keep things under control. And uh, it's a it's a very intense scene between um you know, Marco and his mom. 'Cause she he Marco's holding Visser One and it's kinda of, it's kind of neat to think about when you know you're looking at it through Visser One's perspective and she's going through Eva's memories and like seeing herself as a yerk in Marco's hand, like and just his desire to just squash her between his fingers. And, um, he doesn't. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, it's a, it's a big moment for both of them. And, you know, I really like how Eva kind of makes the point that when she's telling Marco about the twins, you know, um, she says, Vizor one, just like me is, is a mother. Now she's got that instinct, um, whether she likes it or not, uh, she's going to want to protect, you know, what she helped create her children. Um, she knows that one of them is made the controller, the boy. Uh I, I think there's really no mention of the the daughter where she went off to. Uh I think she's safe temporarily. Um, but who knows. And uh where are we at? For now so it's where the
2: Yeah, they knock her out, um and uh, you know, the anamorphs bug out of there. Probably literally. Um and, and you get this great scene of uh eva being unconscious and um the yerk herself a uh, visitor one just basically has to wait for her body to come back online and she's kind of thinking kind of continuing the story of the courtroom and what really happened and what she didn't tell the counselor 13 and this great um flashback of uh her being so excited about a voluntary host and and making a bet with Asim about whether uh whether that would work with humans or not.
0: Yeah, exactly. The the voluntary controller thing is a big part of her plot for this invasion. She thinks um, it's, and that's another reason I think why she wants to keep going with the, the secret, the backdoor, invasion y kind of route is because she believes that enough humans will voluntarily turn themselves over to their cause once they realize how big, you know, this, this yerk sharing is becoming. Um, so, uh, it, we get a little bit more flashback with that and, uh, her just kind of being really prideful about it to Essam. Um, who who you know is is very distraught by this cuz he's not getting his way essentially he can see visor 1 kind of sliding back into yerk mode with the invasion and all that jazz
2: yeah he's not he's not having it
0: but then they they actually, she wakes up and <clears throat> they take her back to the courtroom drama once more um, so she can kind of recount how she tracked down Essam, who, you know, ran off after their little split tiff, um, who is now on the verge of starving from Candrona. Uh, or really, he is starving. He's, she finds him as he's dying, basically, with the children. Um, they have a little fight, a little scraping, and uh, <coughs> Viser1 basically kills uh, Essam and Allison uh, out of this whole conflict. It's not a not a very happy ending.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and Evaner has like uh, you know just just moments after uh, sparing her life and all that, she's starting to be like, "Wait, you did what? I thought I thought you were good now." <laughs> uh, just yeah, it's, really a, it's an it's really
0: an about her. face for sure. Yeah,
3: because essentially it, there was a there was a fight that broke out between Essam and Idrid, um, and what they did was. Um, Issam forced Edris or Viscer 1 out of Allison, you know, put her, almost starved her out of the host, but gave her a different host so that she could survive. And Essam ran off with Allison, the human, without a controller, or not without being a controller, with the children because, you know, they, they love the children. And, um, Oh, I guess
0: you know. I never, <clears throat> I never really put that together. That is a very interesting thing to point out that that the controller uh, w- was off with Allison as she was free, um, and they're trying to protect their children. Uh, yeah,
2: there was a oh, weird bond there between the between the humans and the the hosts, And um, once Edris, you know, turned against them, they were still wanted to be this strange polygamous uh, family. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they talk about how they have their, you know, four-person relationship, and it's weird, but it, it seems to work, aside from the one kink in it, which is Visor One.
3: <laughs> yeah, but, Eva even brings up that, you know, asks Idris, you know, were you jealous that Issam ran off with Allison, even if you weren't inside of her controlling her? And uh, Oh, yeah, was, that statement a very- makes
0: a lot more sense now. Yeah, that's, it's harder yeah.
3: Yeah, it's tough because you essentially have four beings that have, at some, in some way, shape, or form, birthed two children, and um, they they feel, at least to some extent, equally attached. And you have Allison, who is now no longer a controller, willingly working along with Essem as he is controlling Hildy to save the kids, and they're f- fighting against Idris or Visser One. To, well, that'd be an that. interesting very... book right
0: there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there was any uh, further along plan of Allison to actually free uh, Hildi. Or yeah, well, if she I was think
3: okay Esam had already pretty much, he had said that I will die instead of giving up humanity. Yeah. So I think what happened was Esam said, you know what, I'm I'm going to do my part. I'm going to stop Idris. And uh, we're going to Allison, you and I and Hildy, as I'm controlling him, are going to are going to save the kids and eventually I'll die. And it's up to you two to take care of it. Um, and essentially that, that did happen with the exception of this or one murdering her former host.
1: <laughs> Besides that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it didn't really go down well uh, for them, because um, at this point, the sharing is actually starting to take off now. Um, and, and more Yurks are starting to arrive on Earth, so um, with with Hildy and S M out of the way, you know, visor ones in full-on invasion mode. Um, <clears throat> so she, this is where she she takes full control of lore, David Altman, um and, and uh, she wants to move on and find a new host, um, and, and she just... It, this is my one gripe about the book, I guess, is that... She just randomly mentions, like, okay, and now I left him behind and I moved on to Eva. Well, why? Why did you choose Eva specifically? There's really no reason given. It's just no, like, no, no, it's like they forgot about this it's given. detail almost.
2: Absol- no, 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 absolutely it's given. Uh, okay, that's ex- a big plot point bring it down to the then. end of the book. <laughs> she specifically says she takes Eva on because she was nostalgic to be part of a family again, a human family. And she wanted to see what she could have had. To, to her, Eva represented a family with Marco and, and the dad with, with how uh, her kids would have grown up eventually um, and they could have been this family with a job and this core unit and no worries in the world. And she wanted to experience that again. And once she actually got it, uh, she realized that it actually mattered. This is actually a huge point to her humanity as a Yurk And what she actually cared about with humanity, she realized the core component, it's not just being in that situation. It's caring about the people you're in that situation with. Uh, This family, Eva's family, didn't matter to her because it wasn't her kids. It wasn't her husband. And so even though she thought she'd get those feelings back, it didn't work when it wasn't uh, the personal relationship she had before it didn't oh. matter but, but that's a that's a big cue shot
0: okay well you, you know what they go. didn't they didn't spell it out so plainly i guess and in such such depth as you put it and i really like that angle on it now is yeah um, she can't recreate that old magic that <laughs> she used to have but it definitely awakens her to the fact uh, being eva and seeing you know her, the relationship with marco and all that and wishing she could have had it uh, might might be what led to her uh, having this kind of awakening and and taking on these human characteristics
3: yeah i mean i'll agree with mitchell that it it wasn't very well put in the book why she chose eva i mean yeah you're reading
2: into doesn't... it a lot coleman <laughs> i thought it pretty uh, plainly laid it out
3: i i felt that they she said that she did want the the family experience and all that kind of thing but I would have liked it a little better if they had probably like went into more detail as to okay you know how did you get Eva where did you meet her how you know what was the details behind your choosing of this host other than you have a kid and a husband um, it seems like that particular person may not have been the best option or at least the one that made the most sense hmm
2: yeah, I don't know. I was looking just now to see if there was where I thought that it so plainly put it out. I'm looking
0: at it too, actually.
2: <laughs> Everybody, yeah, I mean, I could be, all <laughs> listeners, please put your books, uh,
3: put your books up. Let's look together. Just like the uh, the Visser three misunderstanding we had earlier with the uh, report giver. Yeah, I that, could that be was, very a, wrong, was a
0: very but... weird, weirdly worded passage. Okay. Um,
2: but what did you this think of um, <laughs> what was your thoughts on the just everything having the animorphs in this book in general like having them be a plot point or distraction did that work for you
3: uh it it did to some extent i, I do think that the way they got there was a little awkward um, i mean the fact that sh- sh- viscer three had to be dumb enough to let her go out into the the common area of the yerk pool and you know, there's a girl with a cell phone that just happens to be there. I mean, this was in the what late '90s or early 2000s, I guess, and cell phones probably weren't quite as common. Right. Um, there, there was some, there was a little bit of a plot that I didn't agree with, but I was glad that they did uh, allow the animorphs to have a moment. I mean, the the series is about them primarily. And the relationship between Marco and his mom, or in this case, Viscera One, them uh, being one and the same, essentially, uh, I think it, I think you couldn't make this book without touching on it, or at least having a present day interaction of some kind. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, you know what? So- they, this book is is like the uh, chronicles in that um, it, it's a side story, but at the same time, this one is lucky enough to be considered canon. Um, unlike you know, kind of some of the Megamorphs, they they might allude to them at times um, the first one is pretty well inducted into the canon but I feel like the others are they kind of exist a little bit outside of it uh, um, but this one definitely goes hand in hand with the series and you know including the Animorphs just brings it into the main series even more I feel like
2: yeah I agree with that uh, if you guys don't mind I would like to do a dramatic reading uh, please this is from page oh, absolutely. this is from page 186 a visor, uh, and it's specifically talking about um, her host, Eva. I had taken this final host because, at least unconsciously, I wanted to know the life I could never really know—the love of a spouse, an equal, the love of a child—but none of it had ever really touched me. I'd had my fling with humanity. I was Yurk once more. I was Visor One. Boom. Okay. Nice. So, so there, it's, it's not. I, I thought. I thought it was longer than that. I thought it was like a whole page talking about it, but I guess that's that's all we get.
0: You're right, but that, that made a strong impression on you. Um, it, yeah. it fully, in your mind, explained all of her, uh, her ideas and, and her desires there. So good job. Good on ya.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Uh, that, that, what, a couple of sentences definitely uh, makes, it meshes into the reasoning behind her taking Eva as a host uh, a lot better than just nothing, obviously. so um, we
0: don't get the specifics on, like, you know, where she tracked her down or whatever. Um, or, it, you know, it, it would be really interesting, I guess, to know if Eva herself got caught up in the sharing, and, and that's why she succumbed eventually. Um, it, you know, well, I assume not, because she doesn't specify that, but...
3: It's it's also nice to know that despite Edris, you know, murdering the host that she had been so attached to and Allison you know, her partner Isom uh, being killed and, uh, or dying of conjuring starvation, that she was still wanting that. That there was something she wanted to go back to. She missed it. And sh- because she wasn't the one that was, you know, she didn't make that relationship with Marco's father. And Marco obviously wasn't her child that she had at birth. Um, she still yearned for it. And it, it does kind of play back into why she has such a, a close attachment to her own children um, even though she is all about the Yurk mission
2: and she's in a different place than she was when she was in love with humanity Uh, she thought that she would get something out of having that relationship back with this new family uh, and found that she didn't really but she still cared about her children who were out there, her real children and so she's this new hybrid kind of uh, personality who's obviously full-on yurk uh but has compassion or has learned compassion from us Uh, yeah she's got that
0: motherly instinct now um something that yurks you know being a combination of like what is it two or three yurks three of them yeah come together in a cloud and spawn one um it's very different to give life to something and then be around to witness that life and want to take care of it and see it grow and succeed in life. Yeah. Um, so that's that's so, what she's really feeling and absorbed in.
2: So you want to lead us into the sentencing?
0: Mix? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, hundred um, percent. With all this information now come to light, Gareth uh, thinks you know he's he's seen enough to sort of confer with his console and make their decision and. Um, Unsurprisingly, I guess they come to the consensus that the sentencing for for both Visor one and Visor three, who, by the way, uh, like halfway through this trial himself f- found himself on trial along with her, basically, um, because he is also handed a sentence here. And it's, of course, all the deaths, just all of them um, for everything that they've ever done. But there's a little like asterisk on there in that the the sentences are suspended to see how they finish the jobs and the assignments that they're they're currently on. Um, so Visor 3 is, of course, uh, handed the Earth invasion to kind of continue doing his thing. And, and Visitor one gets a reassignment and she gets shipped off to, as Coleman mentioned before, this other alien system that we just hear of now for the first time, the Anati system. Um, and their, their battle there is kind of against the Andalites and the Anati. I wish they'd, you know, go into a little bit more detail about this. Um, you know, Andalites versus Yerkes on a non-human world. That'd be a really, really good hashtag. I want that book. Um, But that's the decision of the trial. That's the outcome. Uh, And Vizzer 1 has a little bit of uh, a moment here where she very easily could tell Vizzer 3, hey, the Andalite bandits you're dealing with, straight up, they're human. Uh, But she doesn't. She keeps it to herself, kind of like a dick. (laughs) She doesn't want to see Vizzer 3 succeed. Uh, She wants to see him fail miserably. And that's why she withholds valuable information from him, even if it would help further the Yurk's overall cause.
3: Well, right. I think it's a combination of, of, of her wanting to see him fail, but it's also, she knows that if she gives that information to Visser 3, he's going to track down Marco, he's going to track down Jake, Cassie, Rachel, and every single one of the Animorphs and kill them, or infest them, and that'll just allow him to do what he wants to do, which is all-out war, and... Uh,
0: Oh yeah, with a couple of morph-capable bodies uh, and Visor Three's psychotic mentality, he'll have himself a, a cat army in no time.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean they made it pretty clear in this book that, or at least I thought so, that the Andalite bandits are really the only thing that is keeping them, or at least keeping Visor Three in check. Um, with those, that group out of the way, he he could probably argue pretty well to the council of 13 that hey look yeah we're gonna lose a couple million hosts but you know we got six billion what's what's a few million let's just go in there take it over we'll have all these bodies ready to go and deep down despite Visser one the roller coaster ride that was this book and her you know being pure york and then finding humanity and then falling back into the york but but still having a little bit of an attachment there. She still cares about her children. And even in the last pages, she does make mention of her wanting to see her, uh, her daughter and her son again at some point, but she just knows it can't be now.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of complicated feelings bubbling under the surface of, uh, of this yerk, this yerk named Vizzer. (laughs) <laughs> we, we constantly refer to as Vizzer One, although she's been stripped of that title long ago.
2: It's not definite yet, all right? It it's was just sure. A temporary... Like
0: I said, it's an asterisk. This this story should be called Visor Asterisk. Um, but that's the end of it. I mean, uh, that's the end of her character arc for right now. She's going to be shipped off to be dealt with later in the plot, and that's all we need to know about. <laughs> but it was a fun as hell ride while it lasted. And uh, I think we're ready to sort of dive into our reviewing segment of the uh, the episode of the podcast here. And I don't know how you guys want to do this, because we could give our individual takes on it, and, and I'm sure we'll do that. But um, a- at least for me, I mean, I, I feel fully comfortable in just admitting my, my complete adoration of this book and... I think it's not much of a surprise that this definitely qualifies as a five out of five uh, uh, coked up host bodies. And uh, it's it's definitely one of my favorite books in the series. So uh, we well, can just, just kind like of, that. You know, I don't think we loose need to format go format review or.
2: Yeah, we don't need <laughs> to go here. super in depth. I think you just summed up your thoughts really well and it kept it short. So and I don't want to I don't want to strip Richard. Of All
0: right, good night, folks.
3: Thank, thank you for joining us.
2: <laughs>
0: oh no,
3: no, no, just cut my wings off, guys. <laughs> no, no, no,
2: no. I think I think uh, I I'm right there with you. This book is incredible. It's uh it's right up there at the Limus Chronicles of me, which is that's my favorite book of the series. So this is number two for me. Um,
0: this is yeah. So like a like a eulogy. Just book, say a couple nice words.
2: <laughs> yeah. If any, if any book deserved a five out of five beautiful beautiful wonderful humanities um it would be this book so that's that's easily what i'd give it
0: there you go richard
3: Richard. yeah i mean um you know i know you guys skipped a couple of the ghost written books and i have read the series all the way through uh this this one does definitely stand uh above the rest for the most part um it is a different take on the series theme, which is, you know, obviously it's, it's not really involving the Animorphs as a group at all, with the exception of the couple of points that uh, they did come up. And it, there's not a ton of action. You know, it really is a political, um, philosophical sort of ride. And it felt really more like
0: Ender's that. Game than Animorphs.
3: <laughs> it, it's very thought-provoking, because, you know, Animorphs is a very gray sort of book series, where you have this, you know, war is a horrible thing, and you have these kind of, like, young, innocent children who gradually, throughout the course of the series, become these battle-hardened, soldiers and that have to make decisions of life and death and you know their characters and their personalities change because of that and this book really um, you know st- dives into the philosophical part you know why do ys do what they do how does it feel to be uh, in a host body and you know the, the emotions that come from that and that kind of thing so uh, to keep to keep it short it's a great book I love it um definitely a must read if you're a fan of the series and I don't know I, I'm not very good at the 5 out of 5 chlorine cupfuls of water sort of thing or whatever. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it.
1: There you go. There
0: you go. You referenced the book. That's all it takes. And you know, I I'd, I'd like to expand on something you said about about the theme of this book and maybe even the overall series I think you can go as broad as to say the series is really about the ability of humanity to adapt to new problems and survive against all odds, especially those considered to be impossible. Um, This book is all about that, about, you know, human struggle, human survival, uh, what it takes to create life and, you know, be a part of a relationship and a species um, a lot of deep thoughts like you said very psychological uh, low on the action but really high concept and that's the Honest- best kind of sci-fi
2: yeah and honestly I, I disagree with you a little bit on the themes I would say that that this series is, and that this book represents as well um, it's all about humanity's ability to deal with trauma on a large scale um, yeah that's part know, of a, that's, have, well, that's
0: a struggle man
2: <laughs> yeah well, my words better Um, (laughs) it's it's that it's that that PTSD that that uh, not being being in a situation that you shouldn't have to handle but who else is going to do it you know these are the broad themes that bring us together when we were 12 Yeah,
0: <laughs> totally. Uh, well, I mean, now that we've, we've completed this book, I mean, we were really looking forward to this for a very long time. Both Coleman and I uh, doing this podcast ever since we started. You know, we've been looking forward to these bigger books. Um, and, and with this behind us, we still have a couple more to look forward to. Another Megamorphs, uh, one that I haven't uh, read uh, I don't. I don't think in its entirety. So I'm. I'm oh really looking forward to that one. Megamorphs it's Four. So good. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. And uh, LMS Chronicles, a, a classic favorite, and just you know the final countdown books. Really looking forward to that. But next thoughtspeak, we are talking a kind of monumental book, The Mutation. One that I hear constantly ripped on the internet for just being bad it, it's constantly referred to as the atlantis book richard do you
3: have you you know what i'm talking about yeah have you heard any of this buzz surrounding this book uh you the thing is is to be honest with you despite me having read uh, a ton of these or all of these when i was younger i haven't kept up with the community so to speak so I, i'm not really familiar with how much or how disliked the uh, books are
0: okay but but do you remember reading this book the, oh, yeah, The quote-unquote Atlantis book, although it's not oh, yeah. technically Atlantis.
3: Spoilers for
0: next oh, no, episode. I,
3: ah. <laughs> I remember reading that one uh,
2: pretty vividly. I was just All excited right, well, to see that they were morphing orcas on the front.
0: Mor- morphing orcas kind of sounds like an awesome band name. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but th- this this one was a book that I was so excited to get to. Uh, uh, I, I actually went ahead and already read it. So uh, I have complete knowledge of what I think of this book, and I'm not going to spoil that here. You got to tune in next time for that one,
3: right? Speaking of uh, of morphs you like to see, I remember you guys were talking about the polar bear morph. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and how Cassie should use that as like her battle morph. I think she used that in this Visser book. I think yeah that was you're right
1: baromorph. oh somebody was there in polar I, I think, bear
3: <laughs> i think that was like the only time i can recall that she used that polar bear morph outside of that one book with the vin that's or
2: because or obviously Vizor was written completely just to fill my hopes and dreams um, <laughs> yeah. so
0: well actually polar bear was referenced in the previous book the proposal because marco did a half poodle half polar bear morph <laughs> oh
2: that's true <laughs> I guess that counts. I'll give it half credit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all I need. <laughs> I'd like to like to thank Richard for being a part of this. It's, it's just these bigger books are better with three hosts in general, and uh, you really when add, I mean, you added a lot to this conversation.
3: Yeah, uh, way to go, go. man! It's been a blast. The opportunity, guys. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a series I'm very familiar with. Something that's close to my heart, uh, as I stated earlier in the podcast. I. You know, I read these things for a good portion of my youth, and to to be here, you know, at the ripe old age of 31, and still see the community uh, doing fairly well, and that you guys are out here putting podcasts out and keeping things rolling—it's just—it's—it's it's great. I love it.
2: Yeah. Is there anywhere the yeah, well, any website you have, or anything you want to plug while you're here? No, I I have I have nothing
3: to plug. I am just a person that's been fortunate enough to be able to. Uh, you know, help support you guys and, and, and keep this thing rolling. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. We, we really
0: uh, hope that you'll continue to listen, uh, continue to be a fan and support us and and uh, anything Animorphs related in general. Um, and, you know, this is all because you dedicated yourself to being an Andalite level subscriber on our Patreon, patreon.com slash thoughtspeak website um our only andalite the only andalite in our army you're kind of our visitor three right now you know that
2: yeah it's a rare <laughs> rare commodity um but yeah uh, it's, it's it's really appreciate you guys better ahead. put out more often uh or i'm gonna start chopping heads you know i've been waiting for us to be threatened on the actual show by a listener so thank you for fulfilling that uh, yeah
0: thanks for being our first
2: <laughs> well yeah well you know we we've we've been supported by the fans and we appreciate everything you guys do um, so we're, we're trying our hardest I mean <laughs> um, we're keeping we're at it um,
0: uh, our lives are constantly changing um, expanding morphing whatnots morphing oh my god we're acquiring new forms this isn't even my final form in fact
2: <laughs> but if you want to help so what us, we'll do it's
3: We'll talk to the listeners. I'll get more involved in the community, and if uh, you guys don't start posting more, we'll go ahead and feed you to the taxons.
2: That makes sense. We'll, nice. we'll be f- afraid of that. Um, but, yeah, if you want to help out the show, as check out our Patreon, ThoughtSpeak. Um, you can find us on there pretty easily. We're on iTunes. Uh, reviews really help out more than people think. Uh, that's how new people find us. I, I get emails every month talking about, hey, just found you guys, and i binging the show. Um, I don't know how you know people are still finding us but i think a good bit of it is uh, somebody leaves a review on itunes we jump up in that standing and anytime somebody searches we get a little closer to the top of the list and uh if you want to support us and fight for us as your favorite uh animorphs podcast uh leave us a review it it really helps us out um you can also find our website at thoughtspeakcast.com you can email us at thoughtsbeatcast at gmail.com um facebook twitter we're we're on both and are pretty active on there obviously we're active on the um subreddit our animorphs so just love to see you on there any way you can get shout out to us we'll we'll try to either read it on the air or talk about it or you know maybe it'll inspire us on a future episode so just just love being a part of the community so check us out wherever you can and uh help us out however you can and we'll just keep putting out as quickly as we can
0: so what we try and do here at thought speak 're gonna we're gonna see this through to the very end all the books and beyond
2: <laughs> yeah that beyond is really uh, creeping up on us too so uh, we will see what we do when we get up there it's, but it's anyway.
0: gonna be exciting
2: yeah well thanks again Richard uh, I'd love you have it on a future episode too uh, if you feel like it <laughs> I don't know how this experience yeah, has been for yeah. you
3: <laughs> no it's been fantastic you know if the people don't um dislike the uh, what i had to contribute then absolutely not but i would love to have an opportunity to do a a regular book review with you guys because like i said despite this book being amazing i really really love the actual main cast you know jay cassie marco all that group and i would love to be able to contribute on one of those
0: oh yeah it's always fun to talk about the main cast and their relationships and everything they're going through so definitely gonna have to happen in the future
2: So, all right. Well, thanks again. Hope you guys enjoyed our special visitor episode. Uh, I think we went pretty in depth on that. So uh, glad to see another long episode. Um, If you enjoyed this, check us out wherever else. Otherwise, uh, I've been Coleman.
0: And I have been Mitchell.
3: And I've been Richard. And I've been your Andalite controller guy, (laughs) Richard.
2: Have a good one, everybody.
3: Right on.
0: Thanks a lot. See y'all.